It's a great pleasure to have with us here at the University of Hong Kong, Yap van Sweden, who is the music director of both the Hong Kong Philharmonic and the New York Philharmonic. So welcome, Yap, to Hong Kong U. It's Thank a great you. pleasure to have you here. Um, of course, it's a kind of crazy time, you know, during this time of COVID-19. We are socially distanced in this particular interview. And also, you've been sort of socially distanced from your orchestras as well, right? I mean, what have you been able to do, or how do you keep yourself sane during this time <laughs> when you have to be either locked down or in quarantine or just unable to get around and deal with these large orchestras? Uh, well, you know, I mean, um, to be honest, getting my family a little bit better is interesting, uh, especially after uh, being on the road for uh, 20 plus years. Um, I've been um, uh, physically actually working out a lot. Uh, so that um, that was a good thing. That makes you better as a conductor, uh, you think? I don't know <laughs> if it makes me better. At, at least I feel better. Right. And... Um, um, we have a um, an foundation, it's called the Papageno Foundation, so I've been very much involved with uh, children with a special need. And uh, for the rest, um, you know, you live from not only from week to week when you are in a normal situation of going from one orchestra to the other, but you live more from, um, I would say, day to day. And uh, so that's a very interesting, um, yeah, new... I would say um, way of living for me, and um, but you know it's it's um, it has been okay for me. I mean, uh, once in a while I really get frustrated, and uh, because then you think uh, that uh, there are some plans to start, and then I get a call, and then it says no, it's not possible, it's not possible, it's not possible. And that's from all over the place. It's not just uh, New York or Hong Kong. It, it it's also with other orchestras. You know, I was planning to go to, uh, uh, let's say, to 10, 15 major orchestras in the world, and they had to postpone and postpone and postpone. So um, it is um, it's a challenging time. Uh, it's a time where you are afraid for colleagues who are not having a sort of a uh, uh, security by the government and that you think, wow, how are they going to um, manage to have a, you know, an income? Uh, you try to, uh, to help wherever you can. And, um, and that's about it, to be honest. I mean, I was just in quarantine for two weeks. It was not as nasty as the orchestra members. I hear that was not uh, very pleasant. Mine was uh, okay. I mean, uh, it was not uh, a very luxury uh, hotel, but at least I could survive. Uh, but some people were really uh, having a hard time uh, in the orchestra. Where this is the Hong Kong Philharmonic. Yes. yes. Uh, and um, so that was an, uh, a very unfortunate situation for the orchestra um, and uh, very uh, depressing, to be honest. Um, but, you know, rules are rules. And so we need to see uh, how, we, uh, how we cope with that for the future. And a way to encourage the orchestra after a very difficult time, I take it, because you know, it, it has been tough that the first concert then resulted in uh, a quarantine. Yes. Right? Also very, very, very unfortunate. Uh, one player um, got the virus, and uh, luckily enough, uh, all the members and the staff members 
uh, are all um, negative tested. So that's a very, very, uh, I would say, huge relief. And now we have to continue to see uh, what kind of measures we can take to, um, to have an even a tighter security. I mean, one of the things about being music director sometimes is that you have to show a lot of care uh, for the orchestra, not just in terms of their performance, right, but in terms no, of how they're For me, it's dealing. not so difficult because uh, if you have to show care, mm. uh, it means that you have to do something, uh, uh, the word says it already, to show it. Uh, you know, I do care. I yes, don't I know. I yes. don't <laughs> have to show it. Yes. Uh, so I, I do care. Um, I have a family myself. Uh, as a music director, you have a musical family, mm -hmm. and so you know wherever the word family appears, uh, uh, it is a natural thing for me. Yes, I was going to mention this because you talked about the Papageno Foundation, yeah. and that's something where you're trying to care, but out of a kind of family issues, right? Uh, for yeah. uh, you know uh, people who have uh, uh, disabilities, but through music. It's a, it's a music foundation, is that right? Where music well, speaks to Yes, people? it is a foundation where we uh, have s several things. Uh, number one, we have, um, we have a music therapy, where we have uh, music uh, therapists working for the foundation, and there are around 38 of them. And on a daily basis, they go to children who has uh, autism and they have very big problems to make uh, contact with other people and really uh, also make contact through eye-to-eye uh, -eye contact which I think and uh, which we think is uh, a heart-to-heart -heart contact and so um, by music therapy we encourage them to make contact and even they don't talk this was, of course, also the way how we got our son, because we have a son with autism, uh, got him to talk. Um, how did we do that? We, we always were singing children's songs for him. As, uh, you know, when he was, you have to think about age of three, four, five, six years old. He listened to the songs, but he doesn't say a word. He doesn't talk. And then um, we, by accident, actually, my wife, forgot a word in one of the songs and he got really excited about it and so we thought hey so he actually listens to the words and then um, she would sing the song and whenever that word would appear she would put her hand in front of her mouth and he really got excited so we said look uh, we will take our hand away and say the words if you say the word Finally, after seven years, he said his first word. And then we thought, now we have you. Because then we start to forget two words and three words. And so by children's songs, he learned how to speak. And so um, we also found out that with instruments, he would react if I would touch a note on the piano, he would, you know, he would also touch a note on the piano. So that was a sort of starting to make contact. And so um, this plays a huge role in our foundation now for 21 years already. We opened five and a half years ago a house where on a daily basis uh, 50 children or young adults um, 
are having uh, a daily course of a lot of things. Like we have a restaurant, we have a little concert hall, we have sports facilities. And um, we have in the Netherlands um, a lot of provinces. And in every province we want to have a house like this. And so we are in this coming season, we are opening uh, two houses. That's amazing. Has this experience changed your view of what music does when you are a professional uh, musician, whether as a concertmaster or as a conductor now? Does it change? I don't think it has changed me. I only saw that it did change a lot of young adults and children in their lives. Mm. That. Um, the speech was too direct for them. It was too uh, confrontating, maybe. And with music, there was there is in between speaking, there is a music instrument in between. Right. And that gave them a sort of a security feeling. Right. And from that step of uh, an instrument going to talking, um, was for them and is for them maybe sometimes not for everybody, but for a lot of them and uh, a bridge to start to talk. Right. And hopefully, like Papageno in The Magic Flute, they will have a happy ending. Well, yeah, <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> yes. But uh, I was thinking uh, during this time uh, of lockdown, when so many people are going to music for comfort and for entertainment, whether as a person that deals with music every day as their work, whether music has played a role in this time for you of COVID-19, or whether actually it's something that you need to keep at bay because you are a person that deals with music all the time. Hmm. You know, you will not believe this, but I've been listening to a lot of pop music. Ah, really? Like yes. what? Like oh, so many things. <laughs> I mean, uh, Lady Gaga, um, f um, uh, that is for you a little bit old maybe, but uh, <laughs> Tony Bennett, uh, Frank oh no, Sinatra. Earth, Wind and Fire, Chicago, um, so you know, it's like I've been making like lists I'm, I'm listening to at home uh, and then sometimes, you know, um, I've been working a little bit on a new Wagner opera for me, the last one I had to learn um, and so that combined with pop music or uh, let's say lighter music um, that really uh, was uh, quite uh, um, entertaining for me. Right. I was also thinking about uh, whether you've been playing the violin anymore because um, yeah. obviously that's your instrument and whether that's yeah. been a comfort. I tried to pick up the violin a little bit more uh, after so many years and um, I had a very bad instrument actually and so at certain point this instrument was really annoying me <laughs> and so I thought well since I don't have a really phenomenal instrument anymore at the moment uh, let's just quit because you know you you can you can uh, influence your instrument till certain point but then the instrument needs to inf you know influence you as well right and the instrument was not good <laughs> there enough. Was no inspiration. so <laughs> I I quit <laughs> yes right, right, right. Yeah, yeah there I I did a few weeks, but then I said no. no. 
We often forget that you were, before your illustrious career as a conductor, you were actually an amazing concertmaster, the youngest in the Concertgebouw. Uh, and I was wondering, how did you become uh, a conductor from that position? Because you had it all. I mean, you, you, know, you had made it. You, know, you were the, you know, the youngest concertmaster uh, in a great orchestra. Uh, and then you would have to kind of start all over again to make a new career. How, I mean, how did it happen? What drove you to do that? It was um, actually very easy uh, because um, Bernstein actually influenced me tremendously. He said that um, I would be... Um, I would say probably happier with with an orchestra as an instrument than just having one instrument in my hands and um, first I didn't believe him so much but then he put me in front of the orchestra and it was a uh, very powerful feeling um, I would say not a feeling of power because that's a big difference but a powerful feeling and so after so many years in the orchestra, I think I knew a little bit how, how instruments were working together. And um, I loved to uh, actually to acknowledge more about the technical uh, aspects of uh, wind instruments than uh, the way how they use the breath, when to use the breath in a piece. Um, and so being in the middle of this, of all this music was a completely different experience and still is than being part, just one line of, of, of the whole thing. And so that, um, that moment came actually when uh, Bernstein put me in front of the um, of the orchestra of the Concertgebouw orchestra, and I did some Mahler for him, as a, you know, as a conductor. And I said, well, you know, I never conducted, so I I'm really afraid. He said, no, I don't care, just do it. Then I did it, and he said, now you need to start to take lessons. So and then the journey started actually. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a long journey to have to take, or it was uh, actually look, easy know, for you. Um, Nothing is easy for me. I don't think nothing is easy for anybody in life if you want to do it mm. really well. Mm -hmm. uh, but I really loved it. Right. And that's, that makes it maybe easy. Uh, but I don't think that anything in life is easy. I only think that if you love what you do, mm -hmm. uh, then, you know, even without results, that is the important thing in life that you do what you love right and not how you know whatever the result may be uh, that is the second thing if you think uh, about a higher level maybe uh, in a way it was not my decision it you know and I was pro probably born as a conductor it took me a little longer to recognize right that. but at the same time I mean you had the benefit of being the concertmaster for all these conductors at the concert club. I mean yeah. it couldn't be any better training in one sense because you had all yeah. these great conductors. Right? Yeah. Uh, who, who were the conductors that really had an impact on the way you think about conducting? I think all the conductors I work with, uh, they brought something to the for me, uh, you know, to learn from, and 
uh, there were some personalities I liked very much. I mean, I liked Bernstein very much. Um, I liked uh, Harnon Kuhl very much, uh, Giulini. Um, and so these people gave me an, uh, a very interesting uh, insight of what, 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 was, what was the, the real, I would say, uh, person behind this music. Mm. Um, other ones, they were wonderful conductors, but I, there was some distance between me and them. Um, and with those three, or maybe four, I had a very close and deep contact. Right. Quite different, though. As that as is different, yes. Um, absolutely. I mean, you know, uh, sometimes you get to know somebody because uh, they, you know, they, they are really open for a relationship. And other, other times they are, you know, they are with more distance. I mean, that's, and I think that's a natural thing. Right, right. And I mean, at the time when you were, you know, pl playing and working at all this, you know, playing all this music, it was a time of historically informed performances, and particularly in, in the Netherlands, there's a lot of work about, you know, how to play music as it were back in those days. So people like Gustav Leinhardt, all the way now to Koopman. Yeah. Uh, I was wondering whether, and of course, Karnenko was very much involved in this movement. Whether that also had any influence on the way you think about oh yeah absolutely conducting. I mean Hanun Kuh was not involved he was one of the I would say inventors yes. of going back to the library and 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 have a have a second look about um, interpretation and uh, have a deeper look at the scores and what was the what was the, um, I would say, the meaning of really looking into scores differently than most of us did. And so I think that Hanun Kur was the one who inspired us the most. Um, I think that um, he did not just come on stage and conducted the orchestra. Uh, I think he he came with this knowledge on stage of uh, this certain period of music making uh, where he really teached us um, that an, 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 um, a right arm and a left arm should be used differently than in the so-called the the romantic music making and um, so he was a very inspiring figure um, yeah um, other ones were there too but then um, they were not that I would say um, for me that important like Hanunkul was I mean, sometimes I hear about the Hanun Kaur in your <laughs> performances, actually, uh -huh. because there's a, he has a certain sound as well, right? Yeah, uh, And you kind of bring out um, that kind of timbre as well. Well, you know, it depends, of course, what kind of music we are doing. Yes. But I remember a uh, uh, St. Matthew Passion um, doing here in Hong Kong, and I really uh, enjoyed that. I mean, the, to be honest, I'm more influenced by Scholti for my Wagner operas right. than by Hanukur. I think Hanukur even did not do Wagner operas. So I think that what we learned from him is that an orchestra needs to be a chameleon. 
and one week you need to be uh, ready to play uh, a heavy Brahms symphony and the other week when you do a Mozart or a Haydn symphony uh, you need to really to pull back your um, romantic feelings and uh, be more um, of an uh, a classical uh, music player which is um, um, I would say that the left hand, your vibrato, I'm getting into technical details okay. now, <laughs> uh, that you need to realize what kind of vibrato you use, mm -hmm. how, f how much you use, and your uh, phrasing has to, to do much more with your right hand. And so these things are very important um for your for the way you are playing and your knowledge about why you use different bowings different speed of bowings and all kinds of things it's very important uh and then you know the other then you need to go to second vienna school and then you go back to very old music i mean you know you need to be very flexible as an orchestra right. that's the future of every symphonic orchestra i think that you can you can transform yourself from uh you know from an, an early orchestra early music into extremely modern or romantic or classical so it's and to be as flexible as possible that is the most important thing for the orchestras, uh, I think nowadays. So orchestras should be like a chameleon. Yeah. But I was also wondering because you, you know you're from the Netherlands, and the Netherlands is an amazing musical tradition. Whether you think that there is a particular characteristic about uh, musicians from either Amsterdam or from uh, uh, Holland in general, right? Because it, it is a peculiar thing, and we've had two music directors now from the Netherlands at Hong Kong Phil. So is there a kind of, I don't know how to put it, a kind of Netherlands kind of artistic spirit? Well, I hope so. I mean, every, every country has its own musical soul, probably. And there is a lot of DNA going on in, as we say, the old countries concerning uh, music. I mean, we don't consider maybe the New York Philharmonic as you know, or, or the United States as the old country because we say always, always the old, old country is the Europe. Yes, yes. But still, uh, New York Philharmonic is 177 years old, so there is quite some DNA there, mm. from the early beginning through Toscanini, through Bernstein, through where we are today. Um, interesting is about this orchestra in Hong Kong. What yes, we're talking yes. about. It's a very young orchestra. Mm. But you see, there is a DNA, of course, because they are all being taught by people who, who are connected to the old uh, DNA of, of musicians. So, uh, although it has a very young uh, soul, the Hong Kong Phil, it can sound sometimes really, and I'm happy to say that, like uh, the Berlin Philharmonic. And that is not only because we work so hard on the sound, but also that 
teacher after teacher after teacher, you see that the DNA is coming into the players now. Mm. And that is fantastic. Right, that's amazing. Actually, you brought the orchestra a really long way. I mean, you've been here for a while now. And I yeah. remember when you first came in, people were thinking, you know, we need to make the orchestra absolutely world class. And now that uh, Hong Kong Phil has won the Orchestra of the Year in the, with the Gramophone magazine, that's a huge accolade. Uh, in a way, you've done that, you've achieved that aim. So I was going to ask you, how did you do it? What did you have to do to change an orchestra from one standard to a completely different level, which is now would be regarded as a, one of the highest levels in the world? I think, you know, <coughs> if I do this, you don't hear anything. So first of all, I want to give the credit to the players that they are, uh, that they were and that they are open to, to do what we want to do. And um, I think one of the most important thing is that you never give up on what you, what you hear inside. I always tell the people, if you sing along what you are trying to express, then it cannot go wrong. And so uh, instead of playing your instrument, you need to become your instrument. And that is what the Hong Kong Phil, I think, really achieved now, is that they are be whatever they play, they, be they become what they are playing. And how to get there was your question. Mm. Um, is probably to, uh, to never give up on what you want to reach. Um, have an, I would say, a huge discipline, but more than ever that you realize that you love what you do. And um, then, of course, um, you know, by not giving up as a conductor to the orchestra, is that I know I, I've been very demanding to them. And sometimes um, people took it personal and I didn't like it. Uh, but it was never meant personal. When I work with them, it's always about what we hear and not who they are. And um, I think at the end of the day, um, if they understand that and if they say, okay, we swallow some, some harsh messages sometimes, uh, but it is for the, you know, actually to, 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 um, to reach that really high level and not, so not only reach that high level, but keep it. That is what an orchestra makes a world-class orchestra. Um, they understand, they all understand that when you have an off day, when I started here, when we had an off day of playing, it was like this. Mm. Nowadays, if we play and we have an off day, we do this, that's it. That's it. And so, um, stretching, the high quality is actually what makes an orchestra a world-class orchestra.
but it is not just for an orchestra. Uh, look at sports. If how do you get world champion in any sport? You hardly you lose, and when you lose, you lose with a very small margin. So um, that is the most important thing: that you you are not just sometimes good; you are almost always a wonderful team. Right. So in a way, it's like a kind of you're kind of, like a kind of coach as well, because I always think that a conductor no, has to balance between creating this sense of respect and fear, as it were, but also this what we talked about at the begin beginning, this sense of care, right? So it's both caring, <laughs> but at the same time, this sort of discipline that is required. Yeah. Well, you, you see, the thing is this, that uh, there were uh, conductors before me at Hong Kong Phil, and they were maybe uh, probably uh, much nicer uh, and uh, easier going for the orchestra. At the same time, those orchestras, uh, I mean, s uh, those uh, music directors, every so many years, they fired a lot of people in the orchestra and got new ones in. I never did that. Never forget that. I worked really hard with them. I'm probably not the most... Uh, um, popular music director in their eyes, but they reached that standard, and at the same time, I never, ever fired anybody. That's a kind of tough love, as it were. That's tough love. Yeah, but actually, I have to say, they, they have a huge admiration for you. They do not want you to go, <laughs> I have to say that. Uh, so I don't think they regard you as not the <laughs> most popular um, conductor. I was also going to ask a little bit about Beethoven because this is Beethoven's year, 250th yes. anniversary. The whole world was planning to do <laughs> the Beethoven symphonies over and over again, uh, unfortunately cancelled. But um, of course, you know, there were many Beethoven concerts uh, planned. And I was going to ask you, how do you manage to keep playing Beethoven in a way? Because you know, he is the standard fare for every conductor, and this is his year, and so you know, you're facing doing the cycle again. How do you keep Beethoven uh, new and fresh for yourself so that you can communicate his music? To well, audiences? I think that um, one of the things what I try to, you know, to communicate to the orchestra all the time is that every day you need to get up as a pupil and, and say, what can I learn today? And if you um, interesting enough, if you if you take the score again, after let's say I did in week twenty five, I did Beethoven Eroica, and I would do it again in week twenty six with another orchestra. I would open the score again and see if I can find something else again, something new. Mm. And the interesting thing is that with Beethoven, he always, always give you every day new insights of his music. And that's the inspiring thing of his music. That's why this music is always fresh, at least to mm -hmm. me. Um, and I'm sure to all the players. Um, you, it is an, uh, I think it's always a huge challenge to play it at the highest level. 
and then there is every day there is a, hi a hidden uh, yeah hidden beauty what you will discover if you have an open mind and you have a huge uh, love for the music for his music mm -hmm. do you feel the burden of conducting Beethoven because this is huge tradition all the way back from Mendelssohn Wagner you know von Bülow all the way to you know Bernstein and you know, Hanenkor and so on and you've done the complete recording too so uh, do you feel that tradition and uh, do you feel that you need to keep that tradition going and feel the kind of weight of conductors behind you? What do you mean by the weight of conductors Well, because you know, there's so many interpretations, and as you yeah. said, the old country, right? So it's yeah. like you, know, you have a tradition. Yeah. Uh, Beethoven is your tradition. Yeah. So there's, a there's a, the need to keep that heritage, right? So that, that's what I mean by the weight or the influence. Or the, do, you, do you know what I mean? I don't feel it as a need. Right. I don't feel it as a need. I feel mm. it as an inspiration. Right. Um, if you do something out of need, uh, uh, you know, there is a need to feed your children. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a daily thing. Right. But, um, the, um, uh, you know, uh, you said it right, celebration of 250 years mm. Beethoven. It feels like it's wonderful to be part of a celebration of this Royal Highness, I would say, of uh, of composers. Right, right. Yeah. Are there particular conductors of Beethoven music that you feel very close to? Oh, many. I mean, uh, you just mentioned, of course, Hanonkur, but I I also like um, um, Kleiber. His right. His his Beethoven was yes, fantastic. Yes. Carlos Kleiber. Um, Simon Retto has a fantastic Beethoven cycle with uh, Vienna Philharmonic. So, um, yes, those, those people are inspiring for me always. Right, right. Yeah. That's cool. Um, I, I also wanted to ask you a little bit about uh, your greatest moments with the Hong Kong Philharmonic. What you feel to be like the, the things that you will always remember about your, uh, your journey with this orchestra. Many moments, but I hope that, uh, you know, I always like to like to look forward. So I hope the best moments are still to come. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, but um, I think that, um, you know, this ring cycle was quite amazing, especially because it was the first time in history for the Hong Kong Phil, but also for me to do for the first time the ring cycle. Uh, and then do it on a, on the level that we did it, and we got the recognition yes, highly of uh, of of how we did it. I mean that is an um, yeah that's a that's a thing I would not uh, forget very easily. Uh, I think we did quite some good concerts. Um, um, our Milo cycle was quite amazing, uh, although it's not completely finished yet. Um, and we did some very nice concerts uh, abroad. I mean, in Amsterdam, in Vienna, uh, in uh, in Berlin. So I, I, you know, I think that was a one. These concerts were quite uh, memorable. Um, and I'm really particularly happy with our invitation now by Amsterdam that we are part of the Mahler Festival mm. next year. Uh, which was cancelled last year because of the um, 
COVID. Um, so let's hope and pray that we uh, that you know that the, the virus is sort of uh, in control and by all of us, and that we are able to go to Amsterdam and be part of that great Mahler tradition there, together with um, all the big orchestras in the world. That's wonderful to look forward to that, yes, I have to say. absolutely. Uh, maybe one last question for you, and that's about uh, where you see yourself uh, going, um, not necessarily with the orchestra, but what you want to achieve, you know, the, the things that you want to uh, accomplish um, before you put down your baton, <laughs> as it were. Uh, what are the sort of goals that you have? You know, I'm going to say something that is very strange maybe to you, but I have not one goal. Not one. Um, and that was proved actually by this uh, youth epidemic that we are now in. Mm. Um, you can plan a lot of things in your life, but look what happens. Um, so the other thing is that, you know, the future is like the horizon. If you, I always say to myself, if you want to reach the highest and you are aiming for that all the time, then you are actually forgetting uh, to live. So what I do is on a daily basis, what I did at least for all these years, is that just make the orchestra and, uh, and be part of that better and better, whatever orchestra I'm with. Uh, And where it ends, we will see. Mm. It is actually not so important, to be right. honest. So maybe COVID has you know, underlined that day-to-day, moment-by-moment, hard-working life. It proved to me that you can plan so many things in life, mm. and it can all go differently right. and wrong, even, right. like right. now. Right. Uh, but if you enjoy what you are doing, I think that the results come to you. If you are doing things for the results, the results will be like a horizon, always far away. If you love what you do, then it just comes to you, or not. Well, That depends on the quality <laughs> of your work. Yes, it does, and it's great that you're able to well, do so much, actually, with this extraordinary work ethic. And I think on that very wise note, we should end our very wonderful discussion together. Thank you, Thank you very Daniel. much, Yav, for this time. Thank you for Thank having you. me here. Thank you. Thank you.